Good morning. So I was absolutely fine until everyone started asking me this morning, how are you? <laughs> so I hope I remain fine. <laughs> My little boy thankfully stapled these together for me last night so that I wouldn't lose the numbers or the order of the pages. So I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> Anyway, welcome everyone. Can we just pray for a couple of minutes? Your Father, what a privilege just to be in your presence this morning, just to worship you, God, together as a family of believers, Lord. And you know, Jesus, my heart is just that whatever you want to say to your people, that is what would come across, and those deposits that you want to put in people's hearts would remain, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so when Matt asked me to preach, it was to finish off the series, as he said, on Hebrews. So I'll be chatting through just Hebrews 4, verse 11 to 16. So if we go to the first couple of slides, if you can turn together or just read whatever you'd prefer. It's a little bit small. But it just says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus, the great high priest, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need." And if you can go to the next slide, it's the Passion Translation. It's a translation I absolutely love. It was written through the lens of God's love for us. So it's just a little bit more explanatory. So if you have a look at the difference, as we enter into God's faith, rest, life, faith, rest, that's different to what it said in the NIV, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. So then we must be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, like a two-mouthed sword. It will even penetrate the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God, for nothing that we do remains a secret, and nothing created is concealed, but everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes, to whom we must render an account. Jesus, our compassionate King Priest, so then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. We have a magnificent King Priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realms for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity, for as a man, 
our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are, and he conquered sin. So now we draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. So I absolutely love that. And you'll see I've highlighted the faith rest part. We'll go to that just now. But we also can't read these scriptures without going to what was before. So if you have a look at Hebrews 3, I think it's slide 3, Dion. So it's verse 16 to 19. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. That's quite profound. Unbelief prevented them from entering rest. Okay. If we go to slide four, it's a picture of me <laughs> and a few of my friends. So I don't know what words come to mind when you see me in that picture. You're welcome to shout out, anyone? <laughs> a few years ago, young. Young. Cute. <laughs> So, I was at a friend's farewell. She was leaving to go to Scotland. Those two girls in the front, they were some of my best friends in the world, and they still are. If I look on the surface of me in that picture, I would also say young. I would say very pale. <laughs> but I was very troubled. I was sad. I didn't know what was going to happen with my future. When I thought about my future, I didn't think it was very bright. I had negative thoughts about it. I had come out of an eight-year failed relationship. And even though I had chosen to leave that person, I was still absolutely broken. My decision-making depended on the way I saw myself, the things he had said to me and about me. I also made decisions based on my family's advice, friends' advice, and a little bit of the Holy Spirit. But I flirted with Jesus. That's pretty much the truth. I knew of him. I didn't know him. I grew up in a beautiful Christian home. I have my groupies here on the fourth row. <laughs> and I see my sister sitting at the back. So I grew up surrounded by very strong Christian ladies. Really, really strong in faith. I saw miracles happen in their lives through prayer. We attended a charismatic Christian church. God was definitely powerful. I saw that. The Holy Spirit was real. I saw fascinating things happen in this church that was supernatural. I believed Jesus was the Son of God. Didn't quite know his role. I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 12. But because I didn't know him, I definitely didn't trust him for my life. And that is how I ended up, that girl, broken, confused, insecure, 
and very unsure of my future. I then, I'd been in and out of Glenridge Church for quite a few years, and I went the one day, I got the times wrong, I think, so I went to a prayer meeting, but I was very early, and the worship band were practicing, and I was sitting right at the back of the church, and generally when I encountered the Holy Spirit, I cry, and I sat at the back of the church, and I absolutely sobbed from a deep, deep, deep place in myself, and it was as if, as if he emptied me from my brokenness, and he met me with love. That's all I can say of that experience. He didn't speak anything to me. He didn't tell me what to do going forward. I just felt his love for me and his acceptance for me. And that was a shift in my life. When I left there, I knew something had shifted, and I really, really wanted to experience rest. I did no longer want to be troubled. I didn't want to be confused about my future or my life. So I started inquiring of him. I asked him, what do you want from me? How do you see me? Explain yourself to me. What is my role in the world? And that is how I started to make decisions from then on. So, what is rest? I think for all of us, it's different. So, you can ask yourself those questions, but I've put up just a few things that make me feel at rest. So being content living in KZN at this time. Finding my purpose, which I feel like I have found, and living that purpose with passion. It's being a wife, it's being a daughter, it's being a mom, a sister, a friend. And it's being the church even if I weren't in a church. Sometimes we don't have a church we can go to, depending on where we're staying. But we are the church, and that gives me rest when I am being the church. It's finding the lost, and it's growing the found. It's focusing on forever and not today. And then I also realized, you know, some people need to be just relaxing to be at rest. But it's not true for me. I feel when I'm doing things that I'm called to, whether I'm busy or not busy, that I'm at rest. But also, I was in a rim flow pool in Mauritius with a company I used to work for, overlooking the sea. It was a five-star resort. It was absolutely incredible, literally everything you would want in a place. And I was fighting for rest because I had been working for that company for a long time, and for at least two years I had wanted to leave. So the first year, I had desperately wanted to leave, looked on LinkedIn every day, et cetera, et cetera. That is not as Christians how <laughs> we should do things. Then the second year, I spent saying, okay, Lord, if I'm still here, there must be a reason. And I did put it down, but I was still with this company towards the end of two years, and I really couldn't understand that. So I was in an amazing place, relaxing, but I was fighting for rest. And then also for myself, how do my today's decisions affect my forever? When I look through that perspective, then I feel at rest. And is what is bothering me today important in the light of eternity? 
sometimes we can get bogged down with things that really don't matter. Then also, if God has told me to do something, or I feel he's called me to something, and there are voices or things preventing me from going in that direction, I try to cut them off. It's not always easy, especially with people that you love, because the devil uses anyone and everyone to derail you and hook you. But I try and recognize those things, and those things disturb, disturb my peace, so I cut them off. And then looking through the lens of his character and love for us, and not through the lens of our circumstances. So just back to the first slide, we don't need to go there, but just emphasizing faith and rest, they are married. They are yoked together, and they are married. And we were warned against unbelief. We were told to surround ourselves with people that are full of faith. And when you are full of faith and you know that God is for you, you will be at rest despite your circumstances. The opposite of that being unbelief. As soon as unbelief creeps into my mind or heart, I feel like my peace is disturbed. I feel like I start losing sleep at night or I'm consumed with thoughts that are unhelpful and lead to worry. So faith and rest, married. Unbelief, anxiety, married. Get divorced from unbelief. Okay, then how do, we, how do we do this? So I realized you need to get to know the Trinity. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? So just a few things about God. He's all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent. In Exodus, it mentions him as a compassionate and gracious God that is slow to anger, abounding in love. It does speak about other things there, but I'm just going to stick with those for now. Who's Jesus? What is Jesus? In John, it mentions he's the light. He's bread. He's our savior. He was a servant. He is a servant. Jesus, in my experience, is everything I have needed him to be in every situation in my life. So whatever you need him to be, he wants to be that for you. He is someone who hungered for righteousness. He is merciful. He's clean of heart. He's a peacemaker. He was persecuted for righteousness sake. And then he is our advocate. So he is fighting for us. When we can fight, when we can't fight, when we have people fighting for us or not, he is our advocate. And who is the Holy Spirit? So he is the comforter, but also he is mentioned as our advocate. The scholars use the word parakletos in the Greek, and it's the same word as advocate. So there, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are referred to as the same. So if you get to grips with these characteristics and you make them a bedrock for your life and 
I think also, like, I thought about a telescope. And if you look through a telescope, you will see the center very clearly. The edges are often blurred. But it's okay, because if we make Jesus the center, life is blurry. So many things we don't understand. But if we focus on him, the other stuff becomes less important. Then we have all heard that he knows our thoughts before we think them. Then, obviously, as someone who counsels people, that first part of the scripture in the beginning, he spoke about being a man. Well, he was once a man, so he understands and empathizes with us as humans. So he's the best counselor we could ever have. He empathizes better than the best psychologists and psychiatrists in the world. That is Jesus. And then this is, there's a song that I absolutely love by House Fires. And most of, I don't know if it's the bridge musos, but I don't quite understand you know, all of those sayings. But it says that God is not worried. So why are we worried? You know, he's not worried. And isn't that an amazing thing to remind ourselves of? Okay, then. That is just to summarize Jesus and how we will be at rest. If we believe he loves us, he is for us, his plans are to prosper us, is working things out for our good, is always faithful, is always dependable, reigns above it all, never not inclined towards us, is at rest himself and not worried, then we will be at rest and at peace with faith in our hearts for our current and our future circumstances. If you're a person like me, I don't like waiting. I'm very patient with my children. I'm patient in the traffic. But when it comes to the unfolding in my life in different areas, I'm impatient. I have to fight for rest in those areas. And it's not because I don't trust God. I think I just want to know sooner than not. But so that's an area in my life where I have to constantly say, okay, Lord, I know that you're going to work it out in your time and then find rest in that place. And I, I do because I trust him for my life. He has proved himself time and time and time again as trustworthy, faithful, dependable, works things out better than I ever could, etc., etc., etc. So... I mentioned earlier, divorcing yourself from unbelief. How do we do that? So I'll just give you a couple of examples in my life. Um, so the most recent one, I think, I'll, I'll start with. You know that I was arranging that event. God told me to do that a few years ago. COVID put a stop to it. He reminded me again a few months ago. I said, okay, Lord, and I felt it was time. So if I had told a whole lot of uh, the details to people, I probably would have opened myself up to a whole lot of things that I didn't want to hear. <laughs> um, because it was a very big financial risk, and it was a faith journey. So, yeah, if I had told lots of people, 
I probably would have had them say, you know, the wise thing to do would be this, that, and the next thing. And it looks good because it's under the umbrella of wisdom. But actually, God told me to do something. So it is a journey for myself and him to go on. And faith, for me, is easy. He puts things in my heart. I am convinced he's told me to do X, Y, or Z. That's not the part that's difficult for me. Sometimes it's trust along the journey that is hard. And that's where you have to be super vigilant about who you allow to speak into your life, who you listen to on certain things. Sometimes you can't stop the potential unbelief getting planted because you live with maybe someone who doesn't see things in the same way or Unfortunately, the devil just uses some people that you really love to talk nonsense to you. But ask him to help you recognize those things. You can't stop what comes in, but you can stop where that goes. So I feel very fortunate when I know the devil is irritating me. I actually get a physical feeling on the outside of myself, and I recognize that he is trying to derail me or plant seeds or something. So I feel fortunate that that is what happens to me. But he speaks to us in different ways, God, and you will have different experiences. But catch that unbelief, throttle it, and get rid of it as fast as possible. Because as I said in the beginning, unbelief is the thief of the Christian life. Okay, so with that whole journey for me with that Live Your Best Life conference, it wasn't actually hard. I didn't have to fight for rest once. So the week before the conference, I felt like the devil was trying to irritate me through various reasons, and I felt that physical feeling for a few days, but it left after me batting it. So it was me fighting for that rest, but inside of myself, I didn't feel my peace was disturbed or anything. Then about five years ago, my dad, um, he was 70 at the time. He had what seemed to be a very minor car accident, actually. Um, and I had said to my dad for years, because he had become a bit frail over the years. He used to be a very fit person, very good at tennis, had great reflexes, made the first team of everything. You know one of those irritating people? Mm. So he was like that, very tall guy. And over the last few years, he had become a bit frail. But I always said to him, Dad, you are on a 100-year plan. You know, stop saying that this is wrong with you and that's wrong with you. You know, so I honestly thought he's going to live for a very long time. And he used to say, love, three score and ten. You know, <laughs> where the Bible speaks about you living for 70 years. So that used to irritate me a bit. But anyway, I loved him. So he had this car accident, it was minor, and just one thing after the next went wrong. And in a short space of time, he looked like he was going to die, actually. And for those people who've had people in hospital and you're going back and forward, it's, it's terrible. It's so traumatic, it's draining, it's exhausting. And I was fighting for rest and peace, 
And I always had hope because I knew God was with my dad and I knew he had a plan despite what was going on. But I was really fighting for rest. And it was a very horrible time. And yet in that time, God was so close to me and I believe he was so close to my family as well. And how he answered just a couple of my prayers over that time, the, the one morning we were sitting in the hospital and I just said to God, how much longer can we do this? I don't, I don't know that I can do this any longer. It's just, it's just taking too long. And I hated seeing my dad like that. And at that moment, an anaesthetist that I knew fairly well from before um, came walking past and he went into the car park. I left all my things on the table and I ran after him. And I said to him, Colin, this is the situation with my dad. He was so kind. He said, I can come and see him for you, give you another perspective if you like, that kind of thing. But he said, how long has your dad's blood pressure been the way it is? I told him. He said, generally patients in that condition don't last longer than 24 hours. And it sounds bizarre, but it was God speaking to me through that man and saying, by the end of today, your dad will be in glory and you can do this, you know? And I went back inside and I felt at peace and we spent the rest of the afternoon with my dad in the ICU, my mom reading him scriptures. The presence of the Holy Spirit was thick and beautiful in that room. And when my dad left to be with his dad, it was as if it was a membrane between where we live and where he has gone. And I've never forgotten that because God's presence is right here. Heaven is not there. It's right here. And we can be encouraged by those things. And then, you know, after those incidents, I think you, you're running on a level of adrenaline for a time. And then life goes back to normal. And everyone else goes back to normal. And you feel stuck in that weird place. And I was in the shower the one day, and I just said to the Lord, He had such a terrible death. And God said to me, he didn't. And that gave me such peace and rest as well. I wanted to argue with him and say he did. They were horrible. And I knew I couldn't. He was at peace, my dad. So, yeah, it's, anyway. I also just, along my time of preparation, wanted to leave with something really encouraging. And I know over Easter we obviously spoke about the finished work of the cross and what can we take to help us solidify our faith rest life and actually achieve that. Because if he's urging us to do it, isn't it fascinating that living in South Africa, in the world as it is, God sees faith and rest as possible. And he encourages us to attain that. That's absolutely fascinating for me, especially living in KZN. You know? So the first recorded words of Jesus were to his parents when he was missing, don't you know I was about doing my father's work? And his last words recorded in the Bible were, 
It is finished. It is finished. He was done doing his father's works. So, his finishing is where we start. Isn't that an incredible privilege? We don't have to fight for anything, actually. We already have the victory. What Jesus did accomplished everything. We can rest because our sins are forgiven. His love was poured out for us. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. We already have the victory and we have the promise of eternity. So no need to strive. We can just be in rest. And I often think of, um, for those of us that know the Jungle Book, you know, Baloo on the river. Tummy up, <laughs> face up, just coasting along. Not a key in the world with that lovely song in the background, you know? So a couple of nights ago, Matt, I didn't let you know about this, but I felt God say to me that there are people here that have, they just can't get rest about something they did in the past. You can't forgive yourself. And he says, what he did on the cross was enough for that thing as well. Okay, and if you don't believe it for yourself, then you don't believe that what he did was enough. So sit quietly with him. He wants to take that thing from you, and you don't have to carry it anymore. It doesn't define who you are, and it has no way, shape, or form in your future. Okay, so that's it from me. Bless you all. Thanks for listening.